0: You're listening to the Australian Hunting Podcast. Hunting, shooting and fishing radio with just a little bit of politics. Listen along as we interview some of the most experienced outdoorsmen in the industry today where you'll learn valuable tips and tricks to make you a more successful hunter, shooter and fisherman. Here's your host of the Australian Hunting Podcast, Jason Selms. Welcome back to the Australian Hunting Podcast, Hunting, Shooting, and Fishing Radio. I'm your host, Jason Sells. Pleasure to have you back with us again, joining me on episode 43. Uh, On episode 43, today I'm talking with Michael Guesty Guest about fishing with lures. Now, Michael, uh, or Guesty, we call him Guesty because that's what most people know him as. Uh, is the host of Real Action TV, a fishing show, which you can also see on YouTube as well. Uh, Michael is a mad keen fisherman and also a very, very keen hunter as well. And uh, we had an awesome chat about lures, uh, poppers, uh, hard bodies, soft plastics, depths, jig heads, Australian uh, species to fish and everything in between. And it was awesome uh, getting guesty on the show. Uh, Michael is also the host of the Summer 2GB Fishing Show on 2GB. Uh, the same radio station as Ray Hadley and Alan Jones, and uh, I'm actually I've got to, I've got to send him an email about that because I'm not actually sure if it's coming back again this year, the Summer Fishing Show. Uh, but it's been a long time, two GB Summer Fishing Show fan. Um, you know he's on there hosting it, giving away lots of prizes, and there's also some great information. Uh, and it's a little bit funny too with him and the one iron going against each other. It is a quite a good show on fishing, and uh, I listen to it regularly and quite enjoyed it. So it was great uh, having Michael on the show to come and chat to us about everything to do with fishing lures. I mean, I've been fishing with lures off my kayak just recently and I tell you what, it's been difficult trying to find the right lures, the right colours, And it was great getting Michael on the show to uh, just give us a little bit more information about what works, what doesn't work, and his experience whilst being out on the water. So thanks, Michael, again for coming on the show. And hopefully I'm going to have him on again in the near future because I do know he's a keen hunter as well. And uh, we did have a chat off air, and I said I might get him back on again in the future to talk about uh, his hunting activities. So again, thanks, Michael, and thanks, everyone, for joining me again this month. Uh, I just got back from the rice fields. Uh, hunting ducks, and let me just say, I did make a video about it on my YouTube page. You can check it out, uh, Rice Mitigation 2013. I went with a couple of friends. Unfortunately, a friend had an emergency and had to leave after five days, uh, and I was left with me and another friend, and we didn't shoot much at all. Uh, We shot about 15 birds in seven days. Uh, I was going to stay down there a bit longer, but just seems from my calls to other farmers, there's not many ducks in the area, so hopefully there's other people out there Uh, Having success on the ducks on the rice, but unfortunately for us, it just didn't work out this year. So hey, we're still I still got bought a lot of rounds home, and they'll go great to be able to use those next year. Um, Some news that had just come up. Now I thought I'd wait until I record this podcast for a couple of days after I heard this information because I was a little bit upset. Now, if you go on the Australian Hunting Network, uh, the AHN uh, forum website, if you go into the uh, politics section, uh, you'll see that there's a, a link from Tim, Tim New South Wales, who is the SSAA Media Communications Manager for the SSAA New South Wales, and uh, his forum thread on the Sporting Shooters Association New South Wales support of the Supplementary Pest Control Programme, Uh, through the National Parks and Wildlife. The SSAA has, in fact, gone into partnership uh, with the SSAA to manage, or not help manage, or help go in conjunction with the National Parks and Wildlife Service. On the three-year, is it 12 or 14 national parks uh, program that was going for the next three years? And let's just say there's a lot of AHN people there that have really given it to the SSAA, and me, myself, because over the last uh, six months since the suspension of state land hunting, there's been... Copious amounts of people, the Double uh, Sporting Shooters Association, SFP, Shooters and Fishers Party, and all the organisations have been rallying around to send correspondence to their local ministers, uh, the, uh, Katrina Hodgkinson, Robin Parker, uh, Barry O'Farrell, to say they're not happy with the current uh, Supplementary Pest Control Program, and that was not what was with the agreement with the Shooters and Fishers Party. Uh, And we were told not to support it. So that's what I've been telling all my listeners. I've had people write letters. We've spent hours and hours and hours on this for the SSAA to come out and say they're now going to be supporting the Supplementary Pest Control Programme. And, you, and of course, you've obviously got to be a member of the SSAA to uh, be in the running to be part of this supplementary pest control culling program. Now, a lot of people are saying it's not hunting, and I agree, this is not hunting at all. It is a supplementary pest control program where the National Parks and Wildlife Service will be telling you where you can hunt, how you can hunt, where to sit, when to load your firearm, what time you're going to get up in the morning, daily briefings. And everything in between. And I've been a non-supporter of this. I want it to die like it should. But unfortunately, now the SSAA has thrown their hand up to uh, support that program. And you've only got to go on AHN to see the massive disgust with the SSAA from the members of AHN. I'm very disgusted with it as well. And I've always found, I've had a lot of you may know, if you've listened to previous podcasts, you may know that I've had Diana Mellum on my show from the SSAA. Uh, I've always found herself and Tim, the communications manager, to be fairly good people, reasonable people. And I'm not sure what's in it for them. Is it purely a moneymaker um, to get more members? Uh, I don't know. And it seems to me like I, I posted a, a forum th- uh, link on there, or actually about my opinions, that I think this is a bit of a double edged sword because, on one hand, if it fails, The government can then say, well, it's failed, so therefore it could be the end of public land hunting in New South Wales. But then on the other hand, if it's successful as a pest control culling program, they could we we don't know, they could change forests to represent a pest control, supplementary pest control eradication program. Instead of going out there enjoying ourselves because we enjoy to hunt, anyone who tells me I'm doing it just for the, the, the conservation is absolute rubbish. I do it for that. I do it because I enjoy it. I do it because I can get meat and I can take trophies if I so choose. This pest control, supplementary pest control program, you won't be doing any of that whatsoever. You will shoot the animal, it will stay where it lies, dead right there. You can't take meat and you can't take trophies. So again, I wanted to reiterate, the SSAA, listening to this, this is not hunting. Anyone who thinks it's hunting is completely kidding themselves and I will not be a part of it. And I will not support it. And I hope it dies like it should. It should be. Don't get me wrong. I'm a massive. I'm I'm an R license uh, holder myself. I'm a big, huge supporter of national park hunting. And I'm a big supporter of state forest hunting. In the original model that it was supposed to be under the arrangement from the O'Farrell government. 78 national parks unsupervised run by the Game Council. In the most fantastic safety record on history in any public land hunting uh, arrangement anywhere in the world. Let's not forget that the best program in the world uh, and the most successful and the most safe in the world. So you know, I'm not going to go much on about that because you know I know the SWS supporting it. There's not much I can do about it now. Uh, they've said they've had about 150 members that support it. Well, you know, out of 50,000 members, and they're crowing about 150 members supporting it. Well, you know, you know, again, you know, 48,000 of them are, are apathetic because. You know, they're just using you know the agency for a genuine reason. This is what I'm saying, people need to get more involved. If you're unhappy, email Diana Mellum. Uh, she's the executive director of the SSAA New South Wales or email Tim and express express your uh, discontent with the SSAA's decision to support the National Park Supplementary Pest Control Program. People might not agree with me and that's up to you but I agree this is you know, asking for disaster and failure and it's not going to be the right way to go about it. I guess time will tell and I could be wrong and I'll be happy to admit I'm wrong in the future if that changes. Uh, what I wanted to say too if you want to check out the Australian Hunting Podcast you sure can go to australianhuntingpodcast.com.au. And what I what I did want to say too is I actually changed or I dropped my Control.com.au website. No, it's not gone. I've just reintegrated it over the next few uh, next few weeks I'm going to integrate it into the australianhuntingpodcast.com.au Facebook page. I just want one central point where I can write blogs, edit, review, add episodes Without having to upgrade and update another website. So I think I've already got it on there. If you go onto the Australian page, click on business, you'll see the Aussie Feral Control. And there's going to be a few updates to the website over the coming weeks as well. Uh, and again, if you're looking, you want to help out, you want to write reviews, you want to write up hunting stories, please email me because, again, I do this on my own and need all the help I can get. And if you want to be a part of the show, certainly please send me an email. I can add you and you can actually start writing blogs, reviews, hunting stories. Uh, whatever you want, and that'd be greatly appreciated. So the Aussie Federal Control website is now gone and uh, has been put into the australianhuntingpodcast.com.au page. Uh, Facebook, Australian Hunting Podcast, if you jump on there, please come and join us. There's almost 3,000 members or likes on there, and we have a competition running until the end of, I think it's December 20th. I did load it up today. Uh, you can send all your fo- hunting photos, your creative hunting photos, to Australian Hunting Podcast at gmail.com or go on the website, Australian and click on the contact icon. Send me an email. And uh, send me one of your creative pitches with you in it, with your chosen game or fish, and uh, we're going to draw it on January 1st, 2014. The winner will, whoever wins, will go into, uh, be a, $100 to their either local uh, firearms store uh or their camping store or their fishing store it'll be a hundred dollar gift voucher to the winner uh to spend whichever 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 store they actually choose so it's going to be good Uh, go on the facebook page though because i do have some competition rules about editing the photos and photoshopping and that sort of thing so it'd be great if you jump on there and just check out the competition rules but email your photo uh, one entry per person to at Twitter. If you want to follow my Twitter feed, AH podcast, follow my Twitter feed. Again, the email, Podcast at gmail.com. If you want to help out, you want to tell me how good I am, how bad I am, or you've got some ideas for the show, please certainly send your correspondence to the email. Uh, please jump on iTunes as well and rate five stars, and please also leave a comment. If you're listening right now, jump on iTunes. It would be greatly appreciated if you could leave a comment and rate it five stars. Thank you very much. Uh, stitcher.com we're also on stitcher.com so if you're around the world you've got a wi-fi connection you'll be able to listen to the australian hunting podcast anywhere in the world share the australian hunting podcast with your friends and family that's always appreciative and uh go to AustralianHuntersInternational.org.au. Uh, one of our supporters and sponsors of the show if you want to learn how to get a firearms license you've just gotten into the sport you're just hearing this podcast give them a call and they'll put you on your way to getting your firearms license and they'll help you any way they can so again www.australianhuntersinternational.org.au if you go to the website australianhuntingpodcast.com.au on the right hand side we've got all our links to our social media uh, facebook uh, twitter or some my youtube account for youtube videos but the donation link there uh, anyone that helps donate Uh, helps me out uh, getting my podcast up helps out for new equipment helps getting uh, advertisements out there so if you can donate that is always appreciative as always thanks to a few bunch of guys that always uh donate to me and i always appreciate you but if you want to donate that's where you can go on the main australian hunting podcast facebook page I appreciate all the listeners that tune in, and as always, it's always fun to bring out these podcasts. I've got a lot coming up. I've got another episode of the Everyday Hunter coming up soon. Uh, I've also got an interview which I've already recorded with Liberal Democrat David Lionholm, the new Senator elect for that's going to be what that will be elected in twenty fourteen. Uh, We talk about some interesting things about freedoms and firearms and libertarian views. Uh, That's going to be coming up just before Christmas as well. So stay tuned for the interview with Liberal Democrat David Lionholm. Uh, We're going to be gearing up again for the Shooters and Fishers Party, SFP. 2015 election so I think it's important we're going to start gearing up now and there'll be more information coming out about the Shooters and Fishers party soon and what we can do to stop Barry O'Farrell here in New South Wales uh, targeting law-abiding firearms owners. I mean we're seeing it in range closures. We're seeing Western Australian folk over there dealing with price hikes of, you know, like 100% price hikes. I think it's more even. We're seeing, you know, attacks on Queensland freedoms. South Australia, we're seeing firearms, new laws. Tasmania, we're seeing new laws. You know, Victoria seems to be doing it pretty good. Lucky down there for you lucky bugger Victorians, you know. You should feel lucky if you're in Victoria. But, you know, that's where we're all going to stick together and that's what we've got to do because if we don't stick together eventually the shooting sports won't be here for our children and our future generations so so I guess without further ado let's get into my interview fishing lures with Michael Guest
1: Yeah, it's Michael Guest, or Guesty here, however you like it. Uh, everybody loves fishing with lures, and uh, we're going to talk a little bit tonight about how to get better at that. You might have seen me fishing uh, on uh, Real Action TV or Escape, uh, Escape with E.T. as well on television. We love using lures, and there's some certain techniques that you need to work on to improve your fishing. You're listening to the Australian Hunting Podcast.
0: Michael Guest, welcome to the Australian Hunting Podcast. Thanks for coming on the show with me to chat to us about how to fish with lures today. Appreciate it.
1: Oh no worries, Jace. It's uh, <clears throat> made I'm a pretty passionate fisherman at the best of times, but uh, certainly love uh, to be fishing with lures. And if the listeners, you know, if we can help the listeners improve their lure fishing, then uh, yeah, let's go right
0: ahead. Absolutely. I guess speaking about that, for people who don't know who you are, can you tell us a bit about yourself and how you got a passion for fishing? Was it a family tradition, or how did you get into it?
1: Yeah, look, I I started like a lot of people with uh, with my dad taking me fishing. I've always been a keen fisherman. Uh, I've got three brothers, and and I'm I guess I'm the only one who's right into the fishing. So it's funny how uh, you know the water and that aquatic env- environment affects people in different ways. But uh, I started when I was probably three or four years old, and and uh, I can remember when my dad used to take me out in uh, in a little tinny out on Lake Macquarie. When I was a young bloke, I could hardly sleep the night before. I'd be that excited and we'd go hand lining with, uh, <laughs> you know, with, the, with the hand lines, chasing a few leather jackets and and flathead, really anything that would jump on there. But I know we used to use uh, the old snappy tom cat food pilchards and we'd punch her a few holes in a tin of that and drop it over the tinny and shake it around and, and get the fish about. So um, I guess I started at a pretty early age, that's for sure.
0: Absolutely. Can you tell us about some of the yeah, TV and radio shows you've either hosted or presented on and uh, how how those opportunities came about?
1: Yeah, look, I guess, well, my background originally is that as a professional rally driver, and that's where um, where my media exposure came from in the first place, and uh, well, I guess, you know, it depends whether it be rugby league or motor racing, uh, it, it always helps if, if you've got a little bit of a profile, and then you can move sideways in, in uh, the television industry, so for me, I sort of kicked off with that, but I've always been a mad keen fisherman, and then I started off doing... Um, a lot of work with uh, with pure fishing and Berkeley, and and uh, a lot of work on with their gold product and introducing uh, snapper soft plastic fishing into New Zealand. Heavily involved with that, and then um, <clears throat> DVDs for those guys, and then that moved into um, uh, Fox fishing shows. You know things like uh, Jason Kennedy's fishing trip, and um, and also Dave Buckfield's show. I did I did some work yeah. with those guys, and and um, and uh, also. Um, Another fishing program that was on Channel Ten called Gone Fishing did that one, and then some stuff with um, uh, uh, the fishing DVD with John Hankey does, which is which is a great publication. And then it went <laughs> yeah. from there. And uh, I guess uh, ET contacted me uh, here at one point after one of the, the big snapper comps up the road that we that we happened to win, and and uh, and then I, you know that that sort of started the Skate with ET thing that I've been doing for five years. And then of course this year, Real Action kicked into gear, which is my new show.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, good stuff. I guess with fishing becoming more and more popular, you know, with boats and canoes and kayaks, land-based fishing available, is there any excuse why people can't really get out there and just catch some good fish?
1: Oh, look, no no excuse. And no, I think that that's, the, the, even, uh, you know, I've got a sea-do and I fish off that as well, Um, so a jet ski or a sea-do. Yeah, I've
0: seen uh, that. <laughs> and, and I, yeah,
1: mate, it's a sense it's a so bloody fast way to get around, there's no <laughs> doubt about that. But I think... um. The fact that, uh, you know, a lot of people living in in the city now, um, they don't have a lot of room and things like, as you said, kayaks, canoes, uh, even the seadoo, they don't take up near as much room as what a bigger boat does and and they do let you launch from from any old place. You don't need a a traditional boat ramp, certainly for the kayaks and canoes. You know, seadoo's a little bit different, but you you can see a spot that you like, looks good, and as long as you get to the water's edge, if you can slide a kayak in, it's amazing where you can explore. And as you said, there's really no excuse these days. I think there's a lot of... There's a lot of really good information on the internet. Uh, certainly I've been involved over the years with the Fishing the Edge clips that we did to try and help teach people catch more fish and show how easy it can be. So, mate, you just got to get out there and, and start casting.
0: I know. I was, I was, when I used to listen to you on uh, 2GB, I was with the, with the one on. I remember you used to talk about kayak fishing and probably, was it last Christmas? I think, yeah, I went down to Malacuda, which is a tremendous place to fish, I can tell you. And uh, I saw a lot of guys on these kayaks, and and then I heard about it on the summer show last year, and I thought, these guys are out in canoes and kayaks and enjoying it, and I didn't really want to sort of purchase a boat, so I ended up purchasing a uh, Hobie kayak too. And I I love the thing I purchased about four weeks ago, and I've been catching a few fish so far, so definitely a good way to get around with a sort of minimal expense too.
1: Oh, exactly. Look, it's it's a much cheaper option, and uh, it's good exercise too. Whenever you're out on the water, whether you've got a pedal-powered one or you've got a paddle, uh, it's good exercise, um, it's a stealthy way to sneak up on fish especially in really shallow water where you're not disturbing them with, any, with uh, an outboard motor or even an electric motor you can just sneak in nice and quietly and uh, and certainly for things like um, bass and whiting on, on poppers and brim on surface lures and, and even flathead right up in the shallow country it's a, it's a fantastic way to get right in close to them.
0: Absolutely, love it. Tell us about some of your favourite types of fishing that you enjoy and also what are your favourite types of fish to catch?
1: Uh, look, I, I dead set, Jase. I'm I'm happy to catch a garfish off the wharf, or a or, or chase a barramundi, or I've done a lot of game fishing for marlin, like teasing marlin and and switch baiting them and and uh, skip baits and lures. So um, I, I guess I like the visual aspect of fishing. So for me, anything pretty much on the surface, I'm I'm really happy to cast a fly, uh, sight cast a fly at at a trout, a dry fly, and watch it eat it. I, I'm just as happy to. Um, to, uh, to be teasing a big rampaging striped marlin and feed it back a, a live bait on a circle hook or or, uh, or even more so, you know, poking around a quiet creek somewhere and casting a surface lure for a bass, a barrow or, uh, or even a murray cod and, and watch them come up and eat that presentation or even just a tacky lure, even if you miss the hookup. That whole, that whole, you know, and we'll talk about surface lures a little bit further on, but that whole visual aspect of seeing, you know, your presentation being eaten by... A fish is just brilliant, you know, and that's something you don't forget in a hurry.
0: <laughs> no, you don't. If people don't know where to start, say, for an example, let's say, you know, they might not have having many friends that fish and they want to sort of get... Would they be better off joining a club to, to you know, integrate with like-minded fishermen?
1: Look, that, that can be a really good way in, and um, there's some really good clubs around. I think clubs um, have certainly changed, <coughs> excuse me, changed the way they... Um, they do business a little bit these days where we've had a lot of um, big weigh-ins where guys would go out and get 20 whiting and 20 flathead and, and, and 20 tailor and, and uh, I really feel that that type of fishing club fishing is has gone by, by and by and uh, there's a lot of really good clubs around now where it's photograph and release and catch and release and sure, keep a couple of fish for a feed but but uh, it, it's not all about heaping the biggest catch on the table so I think those those sort of clubs are uh, moving forward, they're modern... You know, they're, they're a modern type of club and they're guys, there's guys in there who are interested in the, the cutting-edge fishing technology and they're happy to pass on information. Um, so I think that's a really good way. Uh, even if you get down around your local tackle, most of your tackle shops, there's always a couple of smelly old fishermen hanging around there who are always keen to pass on a few tips. So, yeah, it's, it's about getting, as you've said, with a like-mind when you'll turn rub off.
0: Exactly, we'll talk about you know fishing licenses as well. Yeah, you, know, you know a lot of people. There's different. You know, people say it's where the money goes. Do you, do you agree? It's a good thing with fishing licenses, and there's been some good things come out of it.
1: Oh, look, one hundred percent. I'm I'm very lucky that I live close to uh, an area, Lake Macquarie, where um where about oh, i be nearly ten years ago now that the commercial fishing was banned there, and I've also fished a lot in uh, Saint George's Basin, south of Sydney, where the commercial fishing was banned, and to see. Yep see the difference and what you've got to remember is that all came about through a New South Wales fishing license system where we were able to um, borrow some money as a group and then buy out the commercial licenses, the existing licenses and create these recreational fishing havens and that was all about the license and people tend to forget that sometimes and um, and uh, we've got other official reef systems going in um, all to help Um, promote recreational fishing so 100% for the license and and, you know all the listeners out there if you haven't got one go and get one because it is really you know I'm I'm really proud of where where we've gone and where we've come from and uh, just to see the quality of the fish and and the way the fishing bounces back uh, once uh, that extra pressure is taken
0: off it is just amazing. Exactly. Guessy, some people say, you know, that lures, mate, they'll never be as good as live bait. Is it true, or is there <laughs> certainly a place for lures, say, in a fisherman's tackle bag?
1: Oh, look, 100%. I'm, uh, I, I guess uh, I'm, the, I'm the, probably the wrong person in that department to ask, but I'm such a <laughs> mad keen lure fisherman. I love fishing with lures. But in saying that, I do, and, you know, people who watch r- real action on TV will see me using bait in different situations, and, and uh, you know, we still use a lot of live, big live baits when I'm fishing for, um, for Mulloway at certain times, or we'll use... Live beach worms and different baits off the beach to catch catch them there. Um, you know uh, baits for, for brim at night and also for whiting on the sandflat. So I still do a fair bit of bait fishing, but there's something special about about uh, you know going into a tackle store or getting online looking looking at uh, at the lures and getting some information from from some fellow fishing mates and saying, okay, I think yep that looks like the lure, and then you put it in the water, you create the action with your technique and and, uh, and and tricking a fish to eat it thinking it's alive some type of whether it be a live fish or a worm or a crayfish or whatever you're trying to um trying to recreate. And I've had my young bloke out the other day again and he's he's only a, he's only a young fella and, and we've been using soft vibes for flathead and he got his personal best flathead the other day and he's got the technique down pat and it's amazing even with the kids once they once they know just how fast to twitch the rod and they can they can see the whole process work where wow, they they learn quick and, and that's what fishing fishing's all about.
0: Yeah, speak to us about that too. Won't, next question, we'll go into lure ties. but let's talk about yeah you know, the live bait. You know, say versus dead bait, say versus lures. Just tell us a bit about that. Yeah, you know, most you know most popular, most successful. Does it all really work together? Tell us a bit about those three.
1: Yeah, look, I'd say you know live bait. <coughs> excuse me, Jason. Live bait is pretty hard uh, to beat at the, at the best of times. There's no yeah. doubt, but it is it can be very expensive to buy. It can be almost impossible to catch at times. It depends what, what you're trying to do. And and a good lure fisherman and somebody who practices lure fishing can generally get as many, if not more, bites um, quite often with, with with a lure. And what you've got to remember, let's say, for example, we want to go and have a fish for a flathead yep. and, um, and we're going to use live bait or we're going to use lures. So if we're going to use a live bait, there's two ways we can do that. We can anchor up and we can have a live potty mullet, let's say, or a live prawn and we can pin him pin him uh, through the back and and sit at an anchored spot where we think the flatheads are going to be, or we can drift, slowly drift across an area. If there's no wind, you can even drift them along with with an electric motor if you want to get really tricky. The great thing about a lure is that you can broadcast all these casts out. Now, if you had a live bait and you're going to cast one right out and slowly wander it across the bottom and then cast it out, eventually the thing's going to die or it's going to get dragged backwards or it's not going to like being cast, and that's a great thing. About a lure is that you you you're, you're uh, farming the area. You, you're really um, progressively working across a patterned area. And if you've got a couple of guys in the boat and you're casting your lures out, you're covering a lot more ground. And once you find the fish, you can stay on them. So, so lure fishing against that type of live bait fishing, I, I think, um, has a, you know plays a big big uh, a big part in catching more fish and certainly progressing out of the area. If we were say we're chasing a kingfish. Uh, down, down, out, out wide in the deep water, yep. and uh, and I've had situations where I've dropped a live bait down, say a live yellowtail, and the king actually won't even eat it. You know, they swim up, have a look, they might belt it, but they're really not interested in eating it. But you put a knife jig down, so a big four hundred gram, three hundred gram knife jig, and work it really erratically. They'll they'll smack it nearly every time because <laughs> it's got more action than a heavily weighted live bait that's got a big snapper lead underneath it. The live bait's just pinned there and slowly moving. And it's that speed and acceleration, that extra speed and acceleration sometimes will work even better than a live bait.
0: Mm. Dynamite, tell us about some species we can expect to catch in coastal waterways here in Australia.
1: Oh, look, I think we are just so rich, amazingly rich in, in uh, what we can target. So, uh, you know, from... From way down in in Tasmania, where we've got uh, you know some of those massive big black brim and some fantastic trout fishing, and then all the way up the coast. And certainly, I think people who are lure fishing, they really, I guess the traditional fish that we start off with is the humble flathead, which is uh, one of my favourites. And and uh, you know to try and to to get a flathead up around that 80, 90 centimetres and get a photo and let it go is just great. So flathead, are, flathead, a great whiting on poppers has really kicked into gear over the last five or six years, and they are. Such an aggressive fish, and and mm. uh, people. If you haven't done it before, get out there and uh, get some little walkers or poppers for your wading. That's fantastic fun. Taylor, Taylor are just fantastic on surface lures. Big Taylor are just amazing on big stick baits cranked across the surface. Taylor are one, um, and of course they're great on chrome lures off the rocks, and and uh, and then you've got salmon on tiny little little chrome lures as well. And then you know then we've got brim and bass, which is the whole industry in itself. Um, and and brim fishing, there's acres of information because we have the competitions on them on tiny little hard bodies, soft plastics blades. Um, bass bass are one of my favorite. i've got've got some big bass in my backyard here that I um <laughs> got in a huge big pond with little waterfall drops into it, and I love <laughs> my bass, and they are they're just amazing. So those it's just a mirror. as we go further north, of course, you're into your trevally family and mangrove jacks and barramundi and queenies yep. and threadfin salmon. And it's just absolutely endless, the amount of, uh, amount of fish right around there. You know, if you did a lap around Australia, wow, you, you, there's no reason why you couldn't catch 50 species of fish on lures.
0: Exactly. We can't complain living in this country, can we? No, 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 certainly not. <laughs> Mate, let's talk about types of lures. What types of lures can we buy?
1: Yeah, well, lures range now. And I guess soft plastics have probably been... Uh, one of the most predominant ones over the last few years, and there is such a myriad of different soft plastics around, with with tails that wiggle and don't wiggle, and and, and crayfish and prawn-looking patterns, and you know jerk shads, and you know there's there's just so many different profiles of soft plastics, and and uh, really you know we could talk about those for a long time, but soft plastics are without a doubt uh, one of the most effective lures going around. You've got scented. Varieties and and different colours and and uh, you know different actions that they all have. So there's a, there's a great lot there, and and uh, certainly for flathead, um the smaller versions for brim are you know extremely effective way to catch fish. Uh, tiny little hard bodies. So you have got different depths that they'll dive. Yep. Um, so ones that crank down under the surface, very good um, for your bass and brim fishing. Um, for yellowbelly and murray cod in the bigger versions. And um, for those type of fish, for yellowbelly and murray cod, cod slower-moving fish, so you want a lot of action uh, with, with not a lot of pace. And, and spinnerbaits are another one, too, that we should mention, too, where you have, as if people haven't seen spinnerbaits before, yep. they've got a couple of big blades that spin around, and we've got a lot of action for not a lot of pace, so great for our inland natives. Uh, and then all of your surface lures, there's an amazing amount of poppers and fizzers and walkers that you can use to break the surface tension, and, and, and uh, try and coax an underwater predator to come up and take a look at what you've, you've got happening there. Uh, all of our amazing amount of metal lures, and they go from tiny little blades that you can work for brim and and, and hop those across the bottom brim and small squire and uh, whiting and, and mulloway and all sorts of fish will eat those. Right through to um, big, big chrome lures and then of course jigs that you can jig down in deep water. Um, we've got uh, octo-jigs, so your lacanus type jigs for offshore conditions for pearl perch and snapper and trevallis. Yep. So there's just an amazing amount of flies. It just goes on and on. It, and thinking about it now, you've got me going there. It's just <laughs> an incredible. There's I should look at my tackle box there. There's an amazing amount of lures. You know, different types of vibes, bibless minnows, so just, the list just delicious. I was going to
0: say, I'd on. hate to see your tackle box. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking
1: at a bit in, in the office here at the moment. I need to tidy some of it up. There's stuff everywhere here at the moment, but anyway. Yeah. You know,
0: Tell us, I remember when I was a kid, you know, I was probably, you know, I'm 32 now, so like I was in me, I was used to fish down at Bateman's Bay with my, my dad, and we used to fish the old, you know, with the soft plastics for the rage back then, the old Mr. Twister. But how was, not to say in the last 10 years, you know, obviously the soft plastics and the Mr. Twisters sort of, you know, they went off there for quite a long time. They came back again, I'm not sure, probably, you know, but how, how has lure fishing changed over the last 10 years with all these new innovative products?
1: Yeah, look, I think, I think the lures have changed a lot, but it's the, the gear that we use to cast. The lures has changed and made things a lot easier. So we've got you know super high-modulus rods, you know, rods with a lot of carbon fibre and graphite in them, so they're ergonomically easy to use, very, very lightweight. Um, and and quite stiff for their weight so you can and uh, in conjunction with a little spin reel and and some polyethylene or braid line where there's no stretch every little twitch and flick and sideways movement that you make with your wrist is now portrayed back down through the water to the lure and that's been probably uh, not so much the lures but the way we cast and and, uh, and, and, uh, make the lures work has been the one really big thing that has really brought lure fishing to life and at the end of the day a piece of hard plastic or soft plastic or metal or whatever it is, it's all about creating, creating an illusion to the fish that that lure is alive and... Um as I said, polyethylene line and those light rods, where you can really twitch them and, and get the thing to start to dance, I reckon that's been the biggest thing.
0: <laughs> Good stuff. I guess we'll talk about comparing bait fishing and lure fishing before. But let's say someone goes out; they're not that experienced. What should they use in any given situation? You know, should they look at the depth, location, target species? How do they know when they're going fishing what they, you know, what they should take out with them? And yeah,
1: yeah. Look, that's that's. <laughs> It's a tough one. There's no <laughs> doubt. Oh, I guess you, you've just got to you've got to think about the fish that you're going to target. And uh, I guess let's let's take one of the most one of the more popular ones And let's say if we went for snapper. So if we're going to cut, we wanted to go and uh, chase some snapper on soft plastics. You know, seven-inch jerk shads are probably the the go-to the go-to lure these days um, for snapper. And, and my like arsenal would certainly include some of those, some twenty-pound fluorocarbon leader, uh, ten-pound braid. And probably started a three eighths an ounce jig head with with a nice strong hook in it. So that would be my soft plastic outfit. I would use that anywhere from four meters deep up to about 30 meters deep. Um, and, and you can change the jig head size to suit the depth. Early in the morning. And uh, late in the evening and around the tide changes are the best times. And but if I was going to do, you know, chase some snapper, that's good if there's a bit of breeze to move me around and cover the ground. But if it's very, it's a calmish sort of day, sometimes you need to anchor up and get a bit of burly going. So weather conditions play a big part too. in what I'm going to chase, and in deeper water, if I was if I was going to go out deeper chasing some snapper, that's when those little Lacanus jigs come in, where you can get them up to 200 grams even. But even a 100 gram one out in sort of uh, 80, 90, 100 metres of water, you can drop that down and they work extremely well too. So uh, depending on the conditions, uh, deep, the deeper you go, um, you need those uh, heavier lures that are going to get down the bottom or you need to anchor up, get some burly happening and then get some baits down. But look, I think if you're a fisherman, it pays to try and be good at uh, you know in both angles. You need to be good at using bait, you need to be good to use lures. Certainly lure fishing... And uh, and polyethylene braid line is is an exciting way because you feel it every, feel every bump and, and run that you get. But uh, look, I had a good session the other week at Costa Harbour, cubing up some snapper. Haven't done it for a little while, and i bait runner a reel, and you know, in in uh, in that free spooling mode, and then having that screaming run, picking it up, clicking it into gear, and setting the hook <laughs> in a snapper as it runs off. So you know, I think I think it's uh, it's always good to try and cover both options. Don't just go out for the day and say. I'm going to do this, try and take a little bit of bait, have some lures, and then you can always play by ear and uh, and stick to what works.
0: Yeah, speaking of that, you were talking about lures and um, burley. A lot of people say, you know, obviously, when they're using burley, they're normally bait fishing. Would you still burley uh, whilst using lures as well? Is that a popular thing to do these days as well and, and can help your your fishing?
1: Oh, definitely, you know, if, and, and that's where those... Those sort of, um, those, those reels, like those bait, bait runner style reels where you can cast a few baits out and let them float down a burly trail and get that burly happening. And then I'm always casting a little, and you've generally got a little bit of, um, current, so casting back up the current and letting that soft plastic sink down. And quite often you'll catch more fish on the soft plastic than you will on the bait at times. It just depends on what the fish are up to and what they're doing, what they're looking for. But certainly, and even feeding a lightly weighted soft plastic down your burly trail and then giving it a twitch and let it drop back further and keep twitching it, That's an extremely (laughs) extremely successful way.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And we're talking about different types of lures being successful on different types of fish. Can you talk about like you know sort of yeah soft plastics? What they'd be better on? uh, What sort of uh, poppers? uh, What type of species poppers would be better on? Etc.
1: Yeah, for sure. Look, I think um, if if we ran through them as far as flathead goes, 100% flathead. I think soft plastics are are, are my one of my favourite ways of doing it. Um, brim, I actually like my little hard bodies with brim. Um, yeah. I, I just I like that. I think it's a, a little, maybe a shade more of a challenge than a soft plastic for a brim. And I like little hard bodies and and in your natural sort of colours. Uh, as far as whiting goes, 100% little tiny surface walkers or poppers are just fantastic when it comes to whiting. Yep. Uh, Taylor, I like big, bigger sort of 70 to 90 mil stick baits. So little stick baits that'll sort of um, you can wind f- quite quickly across the surface. Uh, when, when the fish are up and feeding, and even even if they're not, they'll come up a long way, especially in calm conditions, for, for something that breaks the surface, and I think the bites can be super explosive, and then go to chrome lures, and even trolling hard-bodied lures around the bait schools when they go down. Um, Australian salmon, um, tiny little clear soft plastics work well, or your little chromies, and uh, in the estuary systems, I'll even take bigger stick baits at times as well. Um, bass fishing, it's got to be surface for me. I just love... <laughs> catching bass on poppers—it's just an insane way to catch them. I think it's one of the better ways. And quite often you'll get the bigger fish on surface lures. But otherwise, bibblest minnows like jackals and uh, are pretty hard to beat uh, on your bass. And a good way to find them—murray um, cod, yellow belly, uh, spinner baits—are a really good yep. way to, to catch them. And I think that you know they're they're pretty um, hard hard to beat. Uh, as far as um, you know, some tougher fish like mulloway. Um, soft vibes and big soft plastics are probably the go for mm. Um if you haven't caught a Mulloway no, a still bit haven't before.
0: caught one guest yet, still trying still trying <laughs> you
1: you, you got to get, get out there and do it I got another nice one the other day here about nearly yeah. 10 kilos only on the 4 pound gear and that took me about 40 minutes to land but soft vibes are really hard to beat but they're, they're, they can be a tough fish, but you need to fish those lower light conditions generally for them. So um, there's, there's a few anyway to start.
0: Absolutely. What colour lures work uh, well, say, in the estuary you know, and coastal species in Australia? If we go dark colours, bright colours, a lot of people say you know, uh, you know, a darker colour for certain you know, conditions of the day, overcast. Give us a few tips to the listeners that would be able to help them out in choosing sort of colours uh, for those types of lures
1: yeah, look at the moment, what well, we've had um, probably a quite a long period without a lot of rain, the water up and down the coast at the moment is quite clear. Mm. And uh, in that clear water, I really do think like natural color, natural colours and clearer clear colours. So if you've got a soft plastic little one that's that's almost sort of partly see-through or or is clear, I think it works much, much better. Uh, I do like uh, any of those natural clear sort of colours in that super clear water. If you're fishing dirtier water, then you can bring in your brighter chartreuses and, and, and your hot pinks and some of those colours uh, are better when the water's got a bit of colour in it and and uh, dirtier water. And then, of course, if the water's really dirtier, anything with a bit of a rattle in it also helps uh, as well. Um, as far as surface laws go and you're fishing low light conditions, I like blacks are pretty hard to beat because... Uh, uh, even though they're harder for you to see on the surface, they create a better silhouette on the surface. That dark color. So I think um, blacks for, for bass and and cod and things in those low light conditions are pretty pretty tough to beat. But um, I think a lot of it's to do with what you have, get confidence in. And if you find something works, then then stick to it and have a think about why it's working. And, and you might find that in you know a different water quality situation that another lure will work. Um, but but a lot of it, I think it catches you know a lot of it uh, it's all about catching the fishermen more so than the fish sometimes with the thousands of different colours. but I, I do like natural lures. brim, brim especially and uh, and bass t- tend to like the greens and the and uh, the olives and the brownie colours tend mm. to work because you look at their food sources, generally those colours and uh, and and they can be a, they can be a tough one at times.
0: Absolutely. Let's talk about size lures I know when I was down in malacoota last year for Christmas, I think I had. I was trying to go big. I had like an eight inch. I think it was gulp, and I ended up catching. I think the actually the the flathead that jumped on was bit, uh, just smaller than the actual eight inch bait. So is that a bit of a gimmick? You know, a bigger bait's going to catch bigger fish, or it's not really because I've seen people catch big mullet also on you know even those little Z-Man two and a half inch grub type things. You know, in the motor all types of colors, the brown So does it really? make a difference
1: I oh, look at elephants eat peanuts and that's a that's probably one way to look at it and you will <laughs> catch some quite big fish on on smaller lures but quite often it doesn't work the other way so well so fish like uh, whiting bass and brim uh, generally you need to work in those smaller lures and, and if your lure is a little bit too big you know they might hit it and have a crack at it but the hookup rate will be down you, you, you hook the odd one I guess but I really feel that um, at times um, that, that can make a difference and then on the other other hand uh, you can have fish uh, in in wintertime when the water's cold and the metabolism of different fish are down a little bit is down a little bit and they're a little bit slower moving, they might make a bit of a rush at a bigger bait and I've actually quite often found that a flathead a bigger bait works slower in that colder water tends to work a bit better with a flathead it's a bit lazy but he thinks oh that's worth a crack because i'm going to get a good feed out of that and i can sit on it for a little while so Mm. yeah it really really does um does depend on the situation but i always would start smaller and work my way rather than start too big i I think I said I've caught some massive fish on small lures, but I haven't caught too many small fish on great big lures. Yeah,
0: is there any different techniques say to fishing lures between your, your your soft plastics, your hard bodies, your poppers, etc.?
1: Oh, 100%. Every lure's got its optimal um, optimal speed and twitching and and uh, and technique that, that's going to make it work the best, and uh, and that's part of lure fishing is working out. And uh, look, I think. There's no point tying a lure on, then casting it as far as you can, and and then and then guessing if you've never used it before. You need to tie it on, have a look in a bit of a bit of cleanish water, and drop it over the side of the boat or off the bank or the jetty wherever you are, and and work it up and down, and and you'll see. Oh, okay, that's what I'm trying to trying to make it work. is some lures have a lot of action, and if you work them too hard, you'll overspeed them, and they'll 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 spin out of control. Mm. Other lures, like long, slender, soft plastic stick, you know, stick. Type type ones. Um, They they need that you need to portray a lot of action to really get them to come alive. Little jerk shads and things. So you got to twitch them pretty hard and make them dance and and come alive. And then uh, little hard bodies and and different surface lures. If you try and crank them too fast, then, then uh, they lose momentum and they they won't work properly or they'll they'll start to swim sideways and they don't look natural. So every lure you tie on, you just need to have a bit of a look at it and 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 work it out. And some of the little walk the dog type lures take a quite a, a special. Um, a technique where you drop your rod tip up and down to get them to sort of walk side to side and they're pretty impressive lures and can catch a lot of fish but there is a little technique for each of them.
0: Yeah, is there any, uh, when you're fishing say the tides for an example, is there any uh, better time to fish the tide with lures or does it matter? Same with bait or just all the same?
1: Look, no, uh, lure fishing is no different to any any type of fishing. Bait fishing, you, you won't try and fish at prime times and uh, in and around any low light conditions so sunrise sunset and your tide changes are all fantastic times to fish and and at the end of the day there's no point fishing at four o'clock in the afternoon with the the tide raging if the tide change was at half past 12 in the middle of the day you'll still get a bite around that tide change and i think um people forget that sometimes and and look we're all busy and we tended to say i've got some time to go fishing and i'll go i'm a bit lucky where i can sort of look at the day and go okay i'm going to go and chase flathead on the last of the run-out tide because I think they're going to bite better and then I'll go and fish the sand flats as the tide starts to run in and flood up over the flats or I'll go and fish somewhere else on a different tide to try and suit the fishing rather than say, I want to catch a flathead, I'm just going to try and catch one. If it's not the right time, go and do something else for a little while. So um, and, and there's other conditions that make a big difference, moon phases, um, and certainly barometric conditions where we have a rising barometer and fish will start to feed or one that drops sharply and you might get a bit of a bite too. So the best thing to do is if you're having a great session, don't just say, oh, geez, I had a good session two weeks ago. Have a look and keep a little diary and say, OK, so it was, uh, you know, they were fairly new tides or smaller tides, so it was between the moon phases and it was the last of the run in and, and uh, and, and you know, the barometer was 1,018 and rose to 1,023 and I had a really good bite. Well, if you get those conditions again, chances are the fish will go pretty well next time you get
0: Exactly. I've, I've always had some pretty good success with soft plastics. I've, I've been pretty... I've sort of worked that out, but I've got some expensive hard bodies, but I just... I can't, I can't catch fish on them. What do you think I'm doing wrong?
1: Well, it sounds like you've lost confidence in them to start with, so <laughs> that, that's, that's never I'm a spending good thing. i
0: spent the and... big buck, so I should work. <laughs> yeah. yeah, look, one thing
1: with hard-bodied lures is there's no, there's, look there's no doubt... That some of the higher end Japanese hard bodied lures definitely work better than than some of the cheaper Chinese copies. Isn't there? There, I don't think there's any doubt about that. Just the, the way they're finished, the the rattles they use, yep. uh, the finish, the way they swim, more than anything, just does does seem to make a difference. And and um, hey, if you can find a cheap little lure that catches fish, then good luck to you, and and you should use it. But I think um I think with your hard bodies, there's there's certain situations. Where they they just come into their own, and you've got to try and find those, and then stick with it. And um, uh, soft plastics are an easy thing and to go back to and keep using it. But but I think um, uh, y- your hard bodies, as I said, that there's situations, say brim fishing, for for an example, and uh, if you've got a little uh, you know a little jackal chubby or something that that'll, that'll yeah, dive that's down.
0: That's what I got. Yeah, and <laughs> it might
1: dive down say a <laughs> metre. Well, that's going to be a good one I, over your over your uh, over your weed beds, you know, and, and then concentrate on, on big, long casts and, and just working it and twitching it and having a look at it in the water and make sure you, you, you've you got it working. And the big thing with, the uh, you know, a brim and a bass are the same. They like a pause. And I think sometimes people cast hard bodies out and then they just sort of wind them back at the same pace. And a lot of fish will swim up and have a look, but it's not. you're better off to sort of wind it, twitch it, and have a little pause, and then wind it, twitch it on the pause. And it's that... It's that stop when the floor is sitting there dead still after the fish has been watching it, he thinks, oh, here's my chance, and they'll crack it on the paws as well. So sometimes just a slow rolling action is not doing it, and once you work out a technique that works with your hard bodies, then stick to it, don't, don't change it. If it's working, and I've seen it time and time again with a couple of blokes in a boat, and one guy will be braining the fish and the other guy is not, and it's only because of a small change to the technique.
0: Yeah, and what about poppers? I mean, how do we, are there, is there a technique to fish poppers across surfaces, say like oyster leases for brim, et cetera, and stuff like that? Will they still hit the poppers?
1: Oh, 100%. And <laughs> once again, brim, let's talk about, say, brim and bass. So there, there are some definite different, different techniques to suit different fish. So, brim and bass, for example, once again, they love the paws. So you, you work the lure, pause, work the lure, pause, work the lure, pause, and it's that pause. When it'll get eaten. It's a tr- traditional way to fish for barramundi. You know, you you, you work your law and you know, big pop, stop, pop, stop, and that's that's the way you do it for a whiting, for example. But if you're working a law you've got to keep it moving all the time. You stop it, the whiting will swim away and they won't eat it. The, the, the most important thing if, you, if you're using mm. a popper or, or a little surface law for a whiting is you've got to keep it moving, keep it moving, keep it moving. Bang, and they'll chase it and chase it and chase it, and eat it. But if you pause it, they won't eat it. Whereas a brim and a bass is opposite. So this is. In one of these things, good pair of polarised sunglasses. Watch how the fish behave, and you, you'll soon work it out. Taylor, uh, they they like a good fast moving surface lure, um, giant trevally. You know they they like the thing to sort of move a little bit. But they'll have their days where they when they GTs will like to pop it to sit there for a minute, and then eat it on the on the pause as well. So um, don't be in too much of a rush. It's the thing that I'd tell most people with surface lures. Uh, whiting is probably one of the main exceptions where you've got to keep that lure moving.
0: Yeah, I just bought some uh, blades too. How can blades be implemented, say, into the know the fisherman's arsenal? Will they catch you know, a myriad of fish too in our coastal waters here in New South Wales or around the, around the country.
1: Yeah, look, definitely they're a really good lure in uh, in the colder months. I find uh, when the fish tend to be in slightly deeper water in our estuaries. Um, and and, uh, and one of the big things with, with people trying and work them too fast, and and they're they're a lure on a sort of you know, one to three kilo rod, those little little tiny little blades, thirty five mil blades, forty yep. mil ones, where you can you'll feel that beautiful little swimming action, that vibration. And they're one definitely where you where on the pause, quite often when that blade's laying on its side on the bottom, where a brim will just pick it up off the bottom and eat it when it's doing nothing, a piece of metal. So <laughs> no bug to me, just when you think you work fish out, they go and do things like that. So they 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 do work exceptionally well. I've had really good success with the blades out offshore with the heavier ones too for things like snapper and kingfish and amberjacks and sambos and all sorts of stuff.
0: Yeah. Uh, let's talk about the, the soft plastic jig heads. I've probably been guilty of this, going a little bit heavier. Um, but some people will say, you know, should, we, should we be getting to the bottom quickly, if looking for a slow sink? we? You know, tell us about, obviously, depth and tides, and especially those certain weights. When should we use like, you know, each specific one?
1: Yeah, look, that's that's a, that's one that we can we can talk about for hours too. But look, pretty, pretty safe to say that if if you fish it depends on the, totally on the fish that you're fishing for. So if, I guess we can talk about flathead and flounder as a bottom dweller to start with. Um, in a situation where where there's not a lot of current and and you're not affected by current or wind too much, and cast it out, I I'd probably generally use somewhere around about one sixth, uh, you know, one eighth to one sixth of an ounce in. In, a, in that sort of one to two, even three metres of water. Yep. Once I get above three metres of water, I tend to use, you know, I get up around that quarter ounce from three metres to sort of four, five metres. Yep. And yep. then five metres to seven, eight metres, I'll be three-eighths. And anything above eight metres, you know, you can still use three-eighths, but I'll probably go half ounce. And that's the sort of graph that I work on. Good. And, and at the end of the day, the heavier, the heavier you go to a degree, depending on the size of the soft plastic, the less action you're going to get. It's going to be quite heavy, it's not going to have that fluttering, that darting action. Um, but in saying that, there's no point putting a you know a, a sixth of an ounce if there's a bit of current wind and you're in six metres of water and it's not getting down there. or when it does get down there, as soon as you twitch it, it's going to come flying off the bottom and it's out of that zone for that fish. So um and then for forrooming, for example, on really shallow water, you know if you're only fishing sort of half a metre to a metre deep over some weed beds, you might want to, a one thirty second or a one fifty of an ounce, or a, or a hidden weight. You know, a tiny little, little um, jig head to uh, to to use a little soft plastic shrimp or or a tiny little minnow, where you want it to sort of just be sort of darting and flicking around. You know, just under the surface. So it's a little bit of trial and error, but to be, it's pretty safe to say that you're better to fish too light than too heavy, and you'll get more bites.
0: All right, we're just about to do one of our segments here. Five questions in under a minute, guest. Do you reckon you can take the challenge and succeed?
1: Not the way I talk, probably not, but I'll give it a crack anyway. <laughs>
0: all right, here we go. Once, once I answer the question, we'll just keep going through we answer all, all right. five. So let's go. All right, favourite lure of all time and why?
1: Uh, uh, gulp shaky shad, probably my, f- uh, my favourite of a flathead lure, caught truckloads of fish on it and uh, quite an easy lure to use. <laughs> all
0: right, favourite type of eating fish and why?
1: Uh, mangrove jacks, um, one of the legitimate family and uh, an amazing fish, probably because I was starving to death camping way up north for a week and maybe I appreciate them a bit more, but I reckon they're pretty hard to beat.
0: <laughs> favourite fishing, fresh or salt water and why? Uh, gee, that's a tough
1: one. Oh, look, I like all of it. I'm not going to answer that one. I just love As long as there's a fish involved, I could care less
0: and I just love fishing. Yeah, favourite fishing location in Australia and why?
1: Uh, look I'd have to say I'd have to say the top end uh, chasing barramundi uh, I just love the whole experience wild pigs crocodiles I'm a magazine hunter as you know yep. and, and I just love the atmosphere and to cast into a snag twitch it and get a barrow to bash your lure mate doesn't get a lot better
0: alright most interesting or funniest thing that's happened to you while out fishing
1: uh, took some guys out chasing marlin out out off here um, and, I, and I ran the deck I normally drive game boats we caught 10 marlins for the day we got uh, the grand slam a blue a couple of blacks and 7 stripes the Boys were on on the rod and uh, the the actual reel broke, so uh, and I was up in the fly bridge, ran downstairs, stripped a heap of line off, cut it, retied it onto another rod, put the, gave the rod back to the guy, and they went 100 kilo striped marlin in.
0: Uh, 120 that's all right I was still, uh, that was still pretty good a minute and 20 seconds not too bad I didn't think I could make the minute on you I'd struggle there Jay. So that's all right all so. right two questions to finish off I guess yeah you probably just told us a bit of a good story there too but I guess share with an audience one of your. you know it might have been a personal accomplishment doesn't have to be a fishing story or one of your greatest times fishing you know and a, a great day in the, in the life of Michael Guest and what was it
1: Oh, look, I, I, I've been pretty lucky where I've, I've, had, I've had a fair few, but um, I've had some amazing days game fishing and some of the things I've seen where I've had, uh, we've had big, big bait balls. I remember one day off, uh, off Port Stevens here and we had a big, uh, a big bait ball of Cow and Young, so, which are like a big yellowtail for the listeners who don't know. Yep. And we had uh, 11, 10 or 11 marlin and they were blues, blacks and stripes all swimming with their bills and and, uh, and and their dorsal fins and tail fins out of the water, and we drove up to them, and I could touch them with my hand. Dead calm day, and I was just swimming around and around this bait ball, and and I could actually pick a, a slimy mackerel on a circle hook up and throw it out there, and the snap swivel was still at the end of the rod tip, and the slimy... Marlin ate the slimy mackerel and just continued to swim round and around the bait ball, and yet we had to drive away to get the circle hook set and then catch a 100 kilo blue and then go back... Ball and catch another one we did that seven times and caught seven fish off the one bait ball
0: <laughs> nice stuff man that's tell us <laughs> no, yeah, uh, you got the life that's for sure i guess um one question is the, Is the the uh, pertech fishing challenge going to be on again is it going to be on again this year or
1: yeah look every year it's getting bigger and bigger we had seven and a half thousand keen anglers fishing it this year which is just amazing raised a heap of cash for uh the Prostate Cancer Foundation of Australia and gave away $140,000 in cash and prizes all on that one day. And it's just been such an amazing ride and it just gets bigger and bigger. It's the world's biggest fishing comp and we run the whole thing. Uh, my wife and I run it. And, uh, yeah, we're really proud of what we've done there. And, um, yeah, and it's great to see. And, look, I know a lot of the listening uh, listening there at the moment will uh, we'll have entered it, and uh, look, I applaud them to, to get in and
0: keep supporting it. Absolutely. Get involved, everyone. All right, to finish off, Guesty, if people you know, they want to find more about you, where can they go, website, can they got an email, they want to purchase products, give you, give us, uh, yeah, just tell us about it.
1: Yeah, look, so uh, we've got um, the MGF, or Michael Guest Fishing Tackle Store, um, and we're about to open another new one in, in Sydney, another retail outlet, but um, online, if you just Google Michael Guest Fishing or www.michaelguestfishing.com.au and we've got uh, absolutely the most uh, competitive prices with anybody and uh, and we offer a lot of information. You can get on there and click on your favourite species, say flathead, mangrove jack, ludrick and a whole heap of information and what type of tackle works best and I think we do that um, better than any store out there is information we try and give back. Or you get onto Facebook and, and uh, happy to answer anybody's questions on Facebook. And I do a lot of that. And that's just uh, Michael Gets Fishing on, on Facebook and I'm pretty easy to find there. Otherwise, get onto, uh, onto Fox and check out Real Action. And uh, we're about to go, uh, the series is about to uh, to to uh, uh, air on Imparja TV right throughout regional Australia. And then uh, working on some uh, some big things for next year as well.
0: Yeah, I remember too. I think it was one of the when you were doing two G. I listened to you, know, you were talking about one of the you were fishing and there was a was it a brown snake? I saw one of the photos I think on the uh, Facebook page where it was swimming through the water and you got a photo of it.
1: Yeah, that was a taipan actually. Of a all taipan. things, coastal taipan, so even worse than a brown snake. <laughs> exactly. And that was at, uh, that was uh, with a guy Tim Morgan. I'm, I'm sure some of the listeners have heard of him. He's a fantastic bass fisherman. That was with him at uh, Somerset Dam. In Queensland, and uh, this big Taipan, yeah, had its head right up out of the water, and Et and I were about to put our kayaks in and start paddling out. I'm glad, yeah. I'm <laughs> glad he didn't, because this thing would have jumped on board, and uh, it came right into the boat ramp and went in amongst some rocks, right against a couple of where a couple of old fellas, but a scary-looking snake. And there is a, yeah, there's a fantastic photo of that uh, Taipan on the Facebook page.
0: All right, you mate, thanks for coming on the show, man. I really, really appreciate your time in able to uh, uh, share some information, not only about fishing, but your experience just in general. And hopefully some people will be able to uh, get some, you know, get out there, go grab some lures or even grab some bait or even just generally just get out there and do some fishing. And hopefully by listening to this show, they'll be able to do that. So I appreciate your time in coming on and uh, all the best in the future. And hopefully we see, uh, you know, more TV shows, more of you on the radio and uh, keep, keep it going strong. Thanks a lot. Really appreciate it.
1: Yeah, thanks, Jason. Uh, Happy to be on there. And uh, look, big hello to everybody listening to the Australian Hunting Podcast and uh, get out there and uh, hunting and fishing are my passion and we've got the best country in the world to do it.
0: You've just been educated and this is the Australian Hunting Podcast. Thanks for listening. See you next time.